Well, I was uh, particularly excited about the last song, and uh, for a couple reasons. One, I'm going to talk a little bit about Martin Luther today. Love Luther. Um, two, uh, when we pick songs, sorry ladies, but I try to pick songs that guys can and will sing. Um, and ladies, you're going to show up at church regardless, but guys... We, we don't want songs that uh, make it sound like I'm going to climb up in Jesus' lap, rub oil in his beard. Uh, we, I don't want that. Uh, I want to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's what we're here to do. Uh, and uh, we are in our series, Gospel Center, week six of our series. Uh, it's our first series. We're just launching out and saying, if we're going to be about anything here forward, what's going to be our North Star? What's going to guide us? And, and the gospel is going to shape, hopefully, everything we do. It's going to be the central hub by which we make our decisions. And, and so we've been going through the gospel, and we've been saying the gospel uh, is good news. It saves sinners, and that's amazing news, but it's also good news for saved saints. It, it, it shapes us. It reminds us. It, it brings us back to God, and uh, it also sends us. So when you've been saved by the gospel and shaped by the gospel, you're compelled to be light bearers to take the gospel into the world. And so we've been looking at that this week. Uh, this six weeks. And today I want to look at uh, what we're going to call gospel-centered calling and work. Gospel-centered calling and work. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I was excited about that song because Martin Luther wrote that song. And he wrote that uh, about 15, third, I forget what I said on the screen, but he wrote the song. Uh, <laughs> but I've been looking particularly toward this year uh, 1957, no, uh, 2017 uh, for, for a long time because uh, while we were living in Europe, I was really looking forward to it then because I had some plans, but we came back prematurely. But 500 years ago on October 31st, 1517, a young Augustinian monk named Martin Luther uh, had rediscovered, had had, had been tasked with the, the task to teach through uh, the book of Romans. And in the process of teaching through the book of Romans, he awoke into the gospel and said, man, salvation is by grace through faith. And uh, he decided he wanted to help the church realize this once again. They had lost their way. And so on October 31st, he went to the church doors in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed on there what is now known as the 95 Theses, uh, which was a common thing. That was like the public bulletin board. It was uh, Twitter, it was Facebook, whatever. Uh, he put that on there. Uh, but uh, what happened was it went viral in our language. Uh, some of his students took down the 95 Theses, took it to the newly invented printing press, started pumping that thing out, and it spread across Europe. And, and the uh, gospel-centeredness was recovered to the church. And others came along, like, Lu like uh, Philip Melanchthon and Calvin and Zwingli and others, and they uh, continued to come back and say, this is the gospel. This is our hope. This is our, our passion. And so out of that came uh, what historians and theologians would say, a summary of their teaching, which we know as the five solas of the Re Reformation. Sola means only. And there's five solas that in the fall, I'll do a five-week series on, Lord willing. Uh, so I don't want to get too deep into that now. But the five solas of the Reformation were simply this. Uh, they said, "How does uh, what is our authority? And they said, sola scriptura, 
The Bible alone, Scripture alone is our source and authority for guidance in life and doctrine. And so uh, they came back to a, a, a word-centered faith. And then they said, how does a person get saved? Sola gratia, by grace alone. Uh, and we looked at that in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, you, we, we, we are saved by grace alone. How is a person justified before God? By faith alone, sola fide, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. Uh, how do we interact with God? How do we um, come before the Father by Christ alone, solus Christus? And the one I want to just kind of focus on today is the fifth one, uh, what is life about? And they said, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Uh, another Latin term would be quorum deo. We are to live quorum deo. That means simply in the presence of or before the face of God. So, uh, you know, your behavior changes sometimes when different people walk in the room. Mine does, I, I just admit. Um, but like if, if it's someone of great importance, like I might change my language, I might change my behavior. But what they're saying is uh, we need to wake up to the reality that God is God. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God knows all things. There is nothing hidden from him. God is in the room, ladies and gentlemen, and he'll be in your car and he'll be in your household. God is, and so as such, we're supposed to live quorum deo, uh, under the authority to the honor and the glory of God alone. And, and out of that, because at that time there was this teaching in the church, there was this uh, idea that there were holy people and holy places, and then there were common people and common places. And people like Luther and Calvin said, no, 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 that's not the true. That's a false bifurcation of, of, of what's going on here. There aren't holy places and holy people and common people and common places because uh, there was this idea that uh, certain people received what's called a vocatio. We get the word vocation. That's all the Latin I'm going to share today. Uh, but we get the word vocation from. And if you were really holy and, and if God really showed his favor to you, you would receive a vocatio to be a, a priest or a monk or a nun. And then everyone else over here is the butchers and the bakers and the candlestick makers just trying to get by. And Luther said, no, no, that's not the case. There aren't holy people and holy places under the kingdom of God. All believers in all places have a holy calling. Uh, in his book, Why the Reformation Still Matters, Tim Chester put it like this. In medieval Catholicism, God is in the monastery and not in the marketplace. God is in the mass and not in the home. Now listen to this. And this is what we are trying to get at at Redemption Parker. He says, the more you stress the sacredness of sacred places, the less God is a feature of everyday life. So, so uh, we do this. We do this even today, right? We go to church. We um, have certain uh, elements in, in certain places where that's sacred, but over here, God really doesn't care about that that much. But Luther says, no, every Christian has received a vocatio. You have received a calling from God. Now, part of that calling is the work or whatever station you're called to in life, but it's not, it's bigger than that. Uh, it's this saying, God has good purposes for you. And your calling is to fulfill. Uh, one time in the Gospels, Jesus, uh, someone comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, love, he basically says, love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the question is, how do we do that? 
And Luther and Calvin would say, you do it through your vocatio. You do it through your calling. You love God in the way that you uh, serve him in whatever calling you're at, whatever job you have. And you love other people uh, by, by doing the same, by providing goods and services. And, and so um, he put it this way in his commentary on the, the day uh, on the Lord's Prayer, Luther says this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us our daily bread. And He does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. So sometimes we can be falsely over-spiritual and over-spiritualize everything and not realize that God is in His good providence providing for us our daily bread through a thousand people that are part of the process. And God disciples us through our vocations as well. We need, just like the church 500 years ago, we need a renewed theology of, of work and calling. We want Redemption Parker to be a place where you are affirmed, encouraged, and discipled in your calling from God. It isn't that, you know, we've got missionaries and pastors and they're like the extra credit Christians and then we got everyone else and we'll show up and, and as long as with the professionals do the ministry and we give enough money that we can kind of keep this relationship going, that's not the case. What, what Luther is saying, what, what we'll see in the scripture is saying that all of our life is to be lived to the glory of God alone. And so uh, if we're going to do that, we need a renewed vision work and theology. If we're going to get a renewed vision for work and theology and calling, we have to go back to the very beginning. I know I have up here Colossians, but we'll get to that eventually. We have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 to see where this idea comes from. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, it's the 30,000 view of creation. God has, has spoken and the universe and galaxies and quasars and, and black holes and all that has come into existence. And then uh, day two comes and day three and he, he is forming and shaping the earth. And, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he uh, begins to create man in his image. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or turn on your phones to Genesis chapter 1, uh, should be the first book in your Bible. If not, come see me afterwards. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, but Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this, and listen carefully, this is God's word. So then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. That word you might want to underline because it becomes very important on, as to what it means to be image bearers of God. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have, there's the word again, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So uh, before uh, anything went wrong in creation, God creates humanity and he imprints his image on it. Now that does not mean we look like God, for we know God has it, well, what theologians would call incommunicable attributes, meaning he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's, he uh, is 
all those omnis, and we are not. Uh, but uh, so theologians wrestle with, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And in tied into this, uh, part of it, it means we, we have the ability to uh, express the communicable attributes of God with reason and love and mercy and justice, but also tied right into the passage where it first tells us you and I are created in God's image. It says, just as God creates out of, from, nothing, from nothing something, he's commissioning us to be creators from chaos into order. Look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, it kind of gets more at the micro level of creation. And at, in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So this is how we would uh, reflect the image of God. Just as the moon is, is not the source of light for the earth, but it reflects the source of light, we are to be reflections of God's good purposes in the world. And part of that is to work it and keep it, or to put it in another language, to be creators and sustainers. You will glorify God as you image God, and to do that, you have to be a creator and sustainer, not just a consumer. Our culture and our, our society, our economy would tell you to be a really good consumer. But for us to glorify God, we have to be creators and sustainers. And each of us have a different vocatio in that realm. And, and, and so, some of you are, um, you know, you're, home, you're, you're homeschoolers. And so you're creating and sustaining. You are, you are uh, imaging God as you are raising your children and equipping them to go out and be creators and sustainers in the world. Some of you uh, are doctors, and uh, some of you are lawyers, and some of you are architects, and some of you uh, are students, and, and some of you will be like I was one day, pizza delivery drivers. And you can glorify God in that. And, and I really have a fondness for that because I'll get back to that later. But but uh, it doesn't matter what your job is, even though our world and in our world we try to find our value and our place in society on what it is we do, God says that isn't nearly as important as who you are as an image bearer of God. And here's the great news about this is you don't even have to believe in God. You, don't even, you can be an atheist, you can do all that, and you're still an image bearer. You still have innate uh, purpose and innate um, value. And, and so uh, whether you hate God or not, you are probably a creator and a sustainer, a cultivator in some way, shape, or form. And you're imaging God. When I was uh, writing this sermon the first time, I was uh, right across the street here at our, our brand new library. And, and I was thinking about all these things. I was going through these texts and and as I was sitting in this beautiful new facility, uh, this group came, uh, came up, and this woman was giving a tour to these uh, adults. I don't know if they were businessmen or politicians, uh, but she was talking about the library and talking about all the, the different facets of the library. And she was walking around, and she said, now the architects here, they, they decided to do this because that, that had this feature. And they went around here, and they said, we had to change this, and this is where we want our art. And, and as, as she just kind of went around, I just stopped and just listened to all of her thing, just, just, and realizing all the imaging of God that had taken place for me to be in that place. I, I thought about the person who first said, we need a new library. 
I thought about them going to politicians and the politicians going and them going out to an empty, barren field that was formless and, and void and saying, this is the place where we're, we're going to create. And then architects coming along and, and then the first crew coming in and, and digging out the, the foundation and then the cement guys coming in and, and metal workers and the city connecting the plumbing and the, elect, the electrical and then the glass workers and electricians and people that laid the carpet and put the the, the drywall on. And then I looked around and I said, no, it's bigger than that. Look at all these books. Every one of them, an instance of imaging to the world, creating something from nothing and uh, the creative works going forward and going forward. And then I thought about how when I would leave that night, uh, other people would come in and they would lock the doors and they would begin to be cultivators. They would take out the trash and they would clean the, the, the sinks and the toilets and they would uh, do maintenance work and they would continue the work of cultivating. And all of that matters to God. All of that is to be lived solely Deo Gloria. Now, there's a problem. The Bible doesn't end in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, it's followed, uh, followed oddly enough with Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin has entered into the world. And it's marred and twisted and affected everything, including our calling and our work. Look at what happened here in, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it says this, after sin has entered the world, God has, is speaking to Adam and he says to him, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of, of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so entered into this God-designed, vocatio-calling, imaging God is now frustration, sin, and toil. So that no matter what your calling is, no matter what your job is, even if you love your job today, there are days when you wake up and it just is a grind for even the best job. And toil has entered in, and, and sin has entered into the creation, and we are then now pushed one way or the other towards sin in this uh, idea of calling and work. And, and on the one hand, uh, it's towards idolatry, where uh, we, we, we pursue our jobs in such a fashion that if I just climb high enough on the corporate ladder, if I get enough good grades, if I, if I go further, then, I'll, then people will look at me and say I'm valuable. Then I'll have everything I want and need then I will have made it and arrived. It's idolatry. And an idol is anything we put in the place of God that cannot ultimately bear up under the weight and expectation. It will not satisfy. The latter always has another rung, and you will always strive more and more. Well, if you don't go towards idolatry, then the, the other end of that, the other way we fall off is, is towards idleness. And, and that may be just being lazy in our jobs or seeing it as a necessary evil grumbling, and, and I'm guilty of both of these, by the way, um, so I'm, I don't stand in judgment of anyone, but uh, it's just simply this, uh, I just, uh, I'm just punching the clock, I'm just trying to get to the weekend, I'm just trying to get to the two weeks a year that I have off, just trying to get so that I get enough money in my bank account that the last third of my life I can take off and just be a consumer. And both of those things do not honor God, do not uh, uh, see all of God's good and in purposes in that. No matter what you're called to, I, I'm guessing you, in some sense, are a creator and a cultivator. 
And you honor God and, and you are part of God's purpose in the world to love God, to love people, and God disciples us through it. But thankfully, again, Genesis 3 is not the end of the Bible either. For God, even in that moment, began to unfold a plan uh, of redemption. And uh, eventually that plan came to fullness when Jesus entered into our world and worked. He did his good salvation work. But for the first 30 years of his life, how did he work? He worked in his father's shop as a carpenter with his hands and thus validating all work, all good work is glorious to God. And then his vocatio shifted a little bit and he began to teach about what the kingdom of God is like and he did that work. But he said his ultimate work would be a cross work. And as he went to the cross, and we'll, we'll see this next month, on the cross, he eventually said, after all had been paid, after all his work was done, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and died. The veil in the temple was torn, and now there was a path to God. And in his life and in his example, we have a different option. We don't have to be idolatrous anymore with our jobs. We don't have to find our meaning and purpose and identity in our jobs. And we don't have to be idle thinking of our jobs as just a necessary grind to get to retirement. Jesus says we can now follow in his path with his Spirit's help and be faithful like he was. Faithful. Colossians chapter 3. Paul has shared the gospel with the Colossians once again. He's shown them the beauty of it. And, and as he does, as we've said oftentimes, even in this series, uh, he shifts gears and he says, now, if that's true, if the gospel is true, what does it look like? What hope do we have in this world? And he says, this is what it looks like for our work and for our calling. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, Whatever calling you have today, it does, your job and, and station in life can change. But today, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It says we can live quorum deo. We can do our job not because our boss is worthy of our job, not because the customers are great people, uh, but because we are doing it to the glory of God alone. We serve Christ, and Christ is our ultimate example, and Christ's Spirit is our hope in this to honor God. To be gospel-centered doesn't just mean in church. It means Monday morning at 9 a.m., God cares about your life and your calling. He has got purposes for you to love him and love people and to shape Christ in you, in your work. And so we have freedom now, freedom to be faithful. What does it look like to be faithful for you? What will it look like tomorrow morning at 9 a.m.? I think of two examples, one a, a historical example, one a personal example. Uh, I think of a guy named uh, William Wilberforce. 1780, he becomes a member of parliament in, in England. 1785, he converts to Christianity, becomes a Christian, and wrestles with, for the next two years, whether he should stay in the dirty, nasty world of politics or if he should become a pastor. 
And he meets a guy named Thomas Clarkson, and Thomas Clarkson says, no, this is your vocatio. This is the moment for which God has created you. Walk in it and fight for justice. Fight for the cause of God in your place, not in the pulpit for you, William Wilberforce, but in Parliament. And so for the next 20 years, William Wilberforce gave his life to justice. 20 years after that, he, they, the Parliament finally passed the Slave Trade Act, making slave trading illegal in the British Empire. But it was still legal to have them if you already had it. So for the next 26 years, he continued to fight and continued to fight. In 1833, Parliament finally passed the Slave Act that made slavery illegal throughout the entire British Empire. Three days later, William Wilberforce died. He gave his life to his calling. He didn't do it out of idolatry for everyone thought he was a fool and and mocked him and ridiculed him for years. So it wasn't that he would get an identity out of this. He certainly didn't do it out of idleness, hoping that slavery would end. He said, I want to live solely Deo Gloria. And for those many decades, he gave himself to that. Now, that's easy to see in a big picture. But what if what does it look like when you're delivering pizzas? So for that, we have to go back 22 years. I was a new Christian. I did not have a church yet, uh, but I delivered pizzas while I went to community college. Okay, again, if you're valuing me towards William Wilberforce, you're missing the point of the whole sermon. But in that, uh, there was another man, maybe 10 years older than me. He uh, recently had graduated from Dallas Seminary. He was working at a local church and had some kids, and he was just trying to make ends meet. And Dave, uh, he, he was just a quiet, demeanored guy, and, but uh, people would ask him, like, oh, so you're a pastor. And I would see him just talk to the drivers uh, between runs and, and just be a, a light in that place. And um, I, I was asking him questions, and uh, he would help encourage me in my walk. And he, he showed me, well, he showed me one, Christian radio, which discipled me for the first two years of my life as I listened to uh, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll and R.C. Sproul and Family Life Today and Adventures in Odyssey every single night for two years. Uh, that was an amazing time in my life. Uh, but uh, I remember the moment, the day, we were standing in the back of Pizza Hut and we were folding boxes, because uh, that's what you did in between runs, to the glory of God. And uh, he said to me, Mark, have you ever thought about being a youth pastor? And I was like, I had never thought about doing anything with my life. And in that moment, he cast vision for my life. Now, I have never been a youth pastor, nor will I probably ever be a youth pastor because he was wrong in that score. But what he was right on, he simply was in the moment casting vision for my life for something bigger than myself. And it glorified God, and my life was changed in that moment. And so I'm grateful for his faithfulness, his gospel sin, and the gospel frees us from idolatry and idleness, to live a life of faithfulness. So again, I ask the question, what does faithfulness look like for you? What does it look like as a student, as a lawyer, as a stockbroker, as a politician, as a homemaker, as as whatever God has for you, what does it look like and how does the gospel encourage you in that? Because again, we want to be a church that acknowledges that your calling matters to God. 
one woman was talking about how she was a public school teacher for 40 years. And uh, as a public school teacher, she also was a Christian, and she came and she served her church each week in the Sunday school. And, and as churches need, as we even need, is uh, people to step up and, and serve the church. And so she, but she said, you know, every year when they would did, do, did their volunteer drive, they brought me up and they, they would pray for our, us volunteers. And that's great. And we, we want to do that. She said, but I never felt, I was never prayed for for 40 years as a public school teacher serving God in the school system. And that's a tragedy in the church because we can think that our stuff is important, so let's pray about ministry and, and, real, and not realize that each of you will launch out into the world tomorrow with the Spirit of God if you're a follower of Christ. And Jesus wants to make an impact in your life and their life through your work. And we want to be a place that says that matters. Do we need volunteers? Absolutely. But we don't want to say that's more holy than whatever station in life God has called you to. So again, what does faithfulness look like for you? May we walk in it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a uh, just conviction where we need conviction. May we repent of idolatry to, to whatever degree we find our identity in what we do Lord, may we repent of that and say we need to find our identity in you. Only you can satisfy. Lord, to whatever degree we are just idle and grinding it out and living for the weekend and vacation, those are good gifts from you as well. But uh, help us, Lord, to not go in any of these directions, but to go in the path of faithfulness as your son Jesus did, even to a cross for the joy set before him. God, I, I pray that Redemption Parker would be a place where people feel encouraged, equipped, and discipled in their callings. Lord, help us to be a people that do that in each other's lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.